Hello and welcome back to the Soundworks Collection podcast series. This is Michael Coleman, and in this episode, we return to another panel from the fourth annual Mix Magazine Presents Sound for Film and TV. Uh, this is an all-day conference spotlighting the techniques and technologies behind sound for picture from production to playback. And in this panel, we explore the sound of Game of Thrones. This panel was moderated by Avid Pro audio specialist Ozzy Sutherland and featured supervising sound editor Tim Kimmel, Foley editor and Foley mixer Brett Voss, Foley artist Dylan Toomey Wilcott, and sound designer Paula Fairfield. I hope you enjoy. First question for you guys. So you guys have gone from a one-hour show to pretty much giving everybody a movie every week now. How has how that affected the schedule and everything, and what you guys are dealing with? I don't know which one of you wants to take this, because I know this is madness. But I'm pointing uh, at you, since it, you're the sound it supervisor. It is madness. I guess I'll answer that as a supervisor. Um, every season is definitely a bit more challenging. Uh, luckily, the clients, producers, they do understand that longer episodes and bigger episodes take more time. Um, so they do actually give us a little more budget uh, every season. Um, still, How much is a little, still, little, little more? I uh, will not disclose this information. No, uh, no, somewhere no. between one day and a hundred days, somewhere in between there. Um, <laughs> still, in my opinion, not enough time, but we get it done. Um, On the fully side, I know that some of the episodes are a little bigger, a little more theatrical, like this one we just saw. So we may get the same time on some other episodes, and then other episodes on the Foley side will get more time because there's so much more content to fill up. Right. So on per episode basis on my side. Oh, no, I'm not asking you. I was talking to Paula. So yeah. No. So how much time do you get? Me? Yeah, you to design <laughs> all those those dragons. Um, it depends on the season, and it's it's again it's the same thing. A little bit more space. I mean, it's never enough time, you know. Um, and it's, this year was very challenging because everybody was kind of balls to the walls, even if you didn't have balls still. <laughs> um, but, um, because visual effects are so, I mean, they're extraordinary. They're so complex. And because all, I mean, we had so many episodes that had massive, you know, in particular four, six, and seven that had massive VFX, right. um, part of the challenge was um, bottlenecks of stuff coming in. And we had, you know, it was a slow ramp up this season in some regards for me, but when the stuff came in, it was nuts. I mean, I literally, I think I had five full nights of sleep in the month of July, maybe. I mean, it was grueling, but the thing is, it's, it's all about you know, we still all rise to the level. You can't, you know, I would say you can't get lazy on Game of Thrones because people will notice. And you want to give the best that you can on a, a show so outstanding. So whatever, you know, we're, we're blessed that the, the producers do acknowledge it. We, we always wish we had more, but um, we make do with what we have. And, and um, you know, and I think as a team, we're very, you know, this is our, what, fifth, for me, I came on in three, so my fifth season um, with all these guys, the, the crew has remained the same, and we have a kind of a, a nice flow. I mean, we just, even when things get nuts, um, and Tim can no longer speak through his beard because it's grown very long, <laughs> I can still understand him in his furry voice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've trimmed it for today, just. <laughs> he did. did. I had to be presentable. He did. Yeah, I mean, they, like this season, I believe they were saying that the amount of dragon shots just in this season matched the amount of dragon shots in seasons one through six. Yeah. So, and as the person who handles the dragons, 
she had a little bit uh, to a worry about. A couple of things to do, plus, plus, you know, the errant, the, the errant polar bear and a few other things. Well, don't worry, we're going to get to your polar bear, too. Don't worry, we're going to talk about that. David, how do you deal with Ramin's music in a season like this? Does he keep it flowing, or does he have cues that you guys are trying to cut yeah. from from before, or...? Um, yeah, well, uh, well, this season was uh, interesting because Ramin was doing uh, the Game of Thrones music tour um, nice. right at the right at the beginning. Um, so we were able to spot a couple of episodes. Um, I think the first two, and then Ramin went off and did a tour around the country with the with his orchestra, and, which was awesome. If anyone saw it, um, and uh, so then he had a he he. he we had a lot of time to prep for the first couple episodes, and then as time went on, we um, things narrowed down. And uh, but usually he has a like a good four to six weeks to to write the score and record it. Um, and there's a you know now that we're in season seven, we do repurpose a lot of cues that were written from seasons you know one through six. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know uh, sometimes he doesn't really. We have so many different versions of the Lannister theme. You know we'll, we'll identify spots where hey we can you know use these stems from. A lot of them are dead now though. The, that's true. That's no, true. There probably won't be a lot, a lot oh, of the dead Lannisters. Lannisters season eight. Yeah. Wait, what? Is that a spoiler? No. No. Okay. Nobody heard that. I don't know anything about season eight. You know yeah. nothing, Jones. No, none, none of us, us do, do. So <laughs> definitely don't ask. Don't, don't ask about season eight. We're not, not lying. They won't tell us anything yet. So no, we're we're the last to know almost. Well, not. Trust me, I've been asking for scripts. They won't give them to me. Cool. All right. So, what do you handle? What 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 do you deal with? Mr. Big Shot. Uh, Mr. Big Shot, right. Yeah, uh, I'm Mix Foley. Yes. So I'm working with Dylan. Exactly. The two of you have a, yeah. a train wreck to deal with, I think, every, every single week. week on this show. So I, we'd like to hear a little bit more about that because, I mean, for me this season, and I, I don't know if everyone in this audience feels this way, there was just so, it was so dense. Every show was that much more dense with detail to every little thing. 900 horses dragons, everything flying all ice all over the place. So how do you guys as a team wrangle all that and, you know, get that to Annalie and Matt so that it's manageable? Well, the, the good news is, is that uh, Tim here will uh, figure out what actually needs to be done in Foley, what's going to be done in the effects, mm -hmm. what's going to be done anywhere else if it's going to Paula. Um, so we get very specific things. We know we can watch a show and know pretty much what's going to be covered. Um, yeah, I mean, other than what Tim is spotting, that's what's important, that's what's going to play. There's obviously, there's so much that we could fill, but uh, we need to pick our moments, especially with the time that we have and how big it is. Um, but what we do like to do is we just like to connect everything into the world. Like, I just love how Game of Thrones has all these props that we can actually utilize. Like, everything is connected to wood or is connected to a leather saddle or, uh, you know, people are walking around with multiple leather, uh, like leather and metal and their sword and uh, I think that you kind of just pick a character who's moving around and there's so many elements to like Jamie Lannister that he's just talking you hear him there's other stuff going around but it's like the immersion is right there right. on the story yeah so yeah you do bring everybody into a world every single week which is great okay so let's talk some bear it was all production sound <laughs> <laughs> all production sound so Paula, did you design the bear? Me? Yeah, you. <laughs> yes. So you're not only the mother of dragon, you're a mother of bear now, too. I am. All right, cool. So there's some interesting stuff in there. I don't, I don't, we can't give away all your secrets, obviously, but something that uh, I think us avid guys have picked up on is you have some interesting 
things you do to the vocalizations when they're whatever dead at mm. this point mm. in the show. And uh, can you touch on some of that? I like this. You like? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Keeping what it. What is this? I don't know. Just some drama. Something between us. Well, here. This is what I do. This is what you do. I in my studio. And like <laughs> um. Yeah. Well. The bear, the, the ice dragon, the whites are kind of all from the same family in a way. I mean, the whites were established uh, end of season three. No, three. Children of the Forest. Two or four. Oh, is it season four? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> it's all merging. It's been a long time. It's a bunch of years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the first time I had to deal with the whites. And I remember. Um, you know, just trying to figure out the palette for that and what they would be. And, you know, you wanted this thing that made your skin crawl and it's horrible. And I mean, you know, and find something that, uh, you know, a dead thing could make, you know, that would be. And, and we, I didn't know at the time. I mean, I never, because I never read the books, I didn't have time. So I didn't know the, the, significance that that first scene would would end up you know the repercussions because obviously it's it's you know we've got you know hard home and all that i mean you start to develop this this huge library of stuff the concept when i approach something like that you know one of the things i asked myself okay so you have this bear the same with the sort of the whites like which i call kind of like ice zombies in a way although we didn't we weren't supposed to use the word zombie but in a sense they are and so I kind of go first to the physicality of it. You know, what, what, you know, you see this, this creature who is part, you know, part bone, part, you know, flapping around skin and fur. And then the localizations, what would happen? You know, uh, what would happen to the vocal cord that would, you know, it's like, okay, so in real life, the bear makes a certain sound, but what happens when it's, you know, partially deteriorated, parts are missing, or it's frozen and it's hard? And it's, you know, what happens to that? You know, so those are the kinds of things. And I've been, in terms of creature design, which I, I don't know, somehow I've kind of ended up doing a lot of this over the years. Um, as sound designers, we end up working a lot of horror. Of course, you cut your teeth on that, and so you play around in that zone. Um, I've always been fascinated. <laughs> this is too much. I don't know. I've always been no, fascinated by kind of glottal vibrations you know that i'm fascinated with that too i glottis. do it at home just laying on I my love couch the glottis. i do it i do i know just like try to get that going let's let's all revere the glottis for a moment <laughs> and what it can do no but it's an amazing thing because if you think about it, i mean that's where the sound emanates from so with the bear with the whites for instance one of the th things i thought of was that kind of like sort of icy quality to a frozen a frozen kind of set of vocal cords that would rattle, you know, that kind of like have that thing. But you also want that kind of screech that kind of makes, it's like, it's like nails on a chalkboard. So those kinds of things. So when I first made the whites, I mean, going through different kind of versions of it and trying to come up with something, I mean, I started to literally, and, and by the way, that was the year I think Clip Gain was introduced. You're welcome. Oh, yes. yeah, because it made, I mean, I literally got so frustrated one day. I had a bunch of vocalizations that were done in ADR that were given to me, and I got so frustrated by it because I was just like, I couldn't find it, and it all sounded like shit to me after. I mean, it, it, that happens. I mean, uh, anybody who works in this knows you get to that point where you just go through so many things, and everything sounds like crap after a while. And I took the clip game, my pencil, because I was using a stylus, and started just radically 
like radically ripping the shit like like this <laughs> with the clip game. Well, it was interesting, right? Because what I was essentially doing was ripping pieces out of the vocalization kind of the way they look visually, you know? So I was trying to come up with something visually that matched. And it's the same with the bear, but now the bear is this big, you know, rumbling uh, pile of bones. And so literally this year, because I knew about the ice dragon and the polar bear and whatnot, um, I literally lived in my studio with like 40 pounds of dead animal bones all year, like strung up in chime form. I had mics that I would put inside of skulls and smash them to Note shit. Note to self, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm coming out there yeah. soon. <laughs> Dude, I saged, it's all good. All okay, the, good, we're good. The evil good, shit's good, good. gone, all it's right. gone. All right. Now it was weird though, it was kind of creepy and weird to walk in your room and have this, I'd made, I created this, huge kind of like almost like a chime with everything dangling and I'd bash the crap out of him and do all this stuff to try to come up with a bunch of things that would run under the body movements but also become part of this kind of glottal distortion, you know, for lack of a better, oh, that's a pretty good term. That's actually. a great term. I, like I think that. you're going to, we're going to coin glottal that. Glottal distortion. Glottal distortion. I like it. So, um, and then, um, and then to get, and, and then pitching, doing radical pitch pitching and uh, just playing. I mean, playing and being and really kind of, I mean, I, you know, on this show and, and in general, I was talking to someone earlier that, um, you know, my job is not necessarily about subtlety unless I'm working on a show that's subtle, but this is not subtle. And so my job in some weird ways is to run to the edge of the universe, you know, run to the edges. Where is like, how far can we take this? And so that's what I did with this. And it was an interesting process because I did one that was more bear-like, mm -hmm. but kind of, kind of a little radical, but a little edgy, kind of like sh rough around the edges. And then I did one that was almost full on bones, bone, bone stylizations with glottal shrieks and stuff. And they went back and forth and ended up with kind of a blend of the two, which is very interesting. Um, I would have actually gone a little farther with it maybe, but I do like I do like where they ended up, which is very cool. But that's you know, that's part of it. I mean, I think as sound designers, part of it is to explore the 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 edges of the Netherlands, you know? And then it's up to the mixers and and, and the rest of the crew when they're putting it together to pull back. You know, it's like I look for twelve on the on the Richter scale and then they pull back to three, you know, in a sense mm -hmm. to blend. But that's kind of my job to figure out, you know. And it allowed them, because we had two full different versions, it allowed them to then really pick and choose and figure out how to sculpt. And sometimes it's like that. I mean, you know, under pressure when we're, you know, because this is one of the scenes where we got, you know, visuals very late. Um, you know, that was the best way to do it. it was like, okay, all right, I'm gonna do this and then I'm gonna give you these things and you guys, cause the visuals were still coming in. It was like some stuff changed. In fact, they recut the middle of it. I remember after I had sent it and they were, you know, shifting stuff around. It was a very interesting process, but it is about kind of dreaming and, and, and getting crazy. And the whites, the bear, the ice dragon, all from that same cluster. The, the ice dragon is a little different cause I added some unique features to it, but uh, that's kind of been, it's, you know, the, the, the amazing thing about Thrones is that to live with a show, God, when we're done, it'll be six years for me anyway, to live with a show and develop, you know, the whites have developed, the dragons are the most notable thing that I, that have been in my care since they've been in children and now, God bless their souls, they've gone on uh -huh. to university and become crazy <laughs> yeah. doctors and lawyers and all that. But, you know, it, it, there is, it's, as opposed to a movie, it's a very different situation. And, and one of the things I always have to think about is not painting myself into a corner. So thinking, projecting what could come. Um, 
And I didn't do that at the end of four. Uh, not, I had no concept of hard home and what was coming, but I went back to that original source material and Tim and I kind of back and forth, shot some more stuff, processed stuff, added stuff in, and we've created kind of, I mean, this year, I did not touch the whites because I had too much stuff in my plate, but we had built such a gigantic library of stuff over the last couple of years that Tim was actually able to, I mean, he fit at like ADR. And so that phenomenal scene. Pretty much, yeah. No, and he did a phenomenal job. That amazing scene when they bring the white to the, to the dragon pit to present to Cersei. Uh, we'll be showing that. Yeah, I mean, I you know that comes from stuff that I worked on, but Tim fit the, like ADR. He fit it like ADR, and and it's an interesting scene because it's the first time you're up close and personal with the white and spend any quality time with them. So there's an extended kind of set of vocalizations where there's you know, and it, it's a it's a cool scene. But that is the kind of the result of. Uh, all of our collaboration over the years and building up a library so that Tim was able to take that off my plate, which was... That's great. <laughs> Poor him had to do it, though. Yeah, you did have to <laughs> deal with it, A couple of white vocals in there to deal with, yeah. So Dylan and uh, Brett, did you, in that scene, is there any stuff from you guys that's fresh or new or... Um, yeah, I mean... Did you... Did you, you know, like Paul's I'd got bones in the backyard. Did you take somebody's flesh and burn <laughs> it? Like, I don't know. What are, what are we doing now? I guess in terms of new techniques, uh, no, nothing new with that stuff. I mean, we had a lot of snow. I like doing snow stuff. It's a good texture. And um, uh, like the swords rattling and in his jaw and stuff, we did that kind of stuff. Um, other than that, you know, gore and stuff. Speaking of dead animal parts, we use like a dead animal skin for blood and gore for his blood coming out What and is stuff. going on yeah. on Game of Thrones? Like, we're finding this all we out. Gotta, you gotta, gotta find the real to... stuff for the real sound. Oh, the real. Tim, what are you letting happen, man? Like, <laughs> he makes us do it. Yeah. He's a cult leader. <laughs> it's a cult. What happens on Game of Thrones stays on Game of Thrones. Yeah. We drank the blood of small children before oh we started Oh, my God. <laughs> all right. So, on that note, does anyone... Oh, sorry, have... I shouldn't have mentioned that, right? <laughs> does, does anyone have a question right now? Raise your hand, and then I'll bring you a mic. Oh my God! You mentioned uh, this the snow, which I was really enjoying. So, w what is your techniques for creating some of that delicate snow? That's um, well, we have uh, we have one of our pits kind of dedicated towards snow, and uh, it's probably about five by five, and we fill it up with river rock, and then we put some sort of uh, styrofoam down. So, and then we put a uh, a bunch of pine shavings on top of that, and a few pea gravel pieces in there because you get some crunchy parts. So that's going to be like the base. You have this really thick, like, um, the only thing that's missing is when the boot's actually sliding down, you get the crunch. And uh, we have another microphone that Brett mixes in, and I'll be walking at the same time. I'll be walking on the, the base layer while I have like a sock filled with cornstarch. I'm actually crunching it to the beat of the walk. So you get like the crunch and the poof at the same time. Any students in the room? You took note, right? Good. <laughs> Break yeah. this down. That's one of the most epic scenes in Game of Thrones history. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, thank you. It was definitely a challenge uh, on all sides. Um, you know, there's, there's a 
bit of a battle, not just with the amount of material in there to cover, but also to try and get the stuff to play well together. Um, I wish Matt and Anna were here, our mixers, to talk about it, because they would be able to probably do a little more eloquent uh, discussion on it. But um, with so much going on, but also so much music going on, there was a lot of back and forth on what to play where and when to push things, uh, how to get the dynamics right. Um, we definitely try and make this a little bit more dynamic of a mix uh, than an average television show. Um, you know, finding the spots to let music run with it and finding the spots to let effects run with it. Um, it's funny, a few seasons ago, I think there was a little bit less music than there is these days, and they seem to be pushing music more and more, which as as being part of the you guys don't have any battles between each other between music and effects right i don't know actually watching that i thought the music could have been louder in certain <laughs> spots <laughs> it's weird i had a different feeling yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i think can we just roll it again with just the effects stem please um no and it's not it's you know it's producers are the ones who make the final call on that and we are learning that these producers are going a little bit more music heavy um than they used to is there um, a reason behind that um, they love Ramin's score, which there's good reason that they love it. He's phenomenal at what he does. Um, and I just think they're enjoying the music, carrying a lot more emotion of the scene than, than they used to. Um, and there, but there are still plenty of big scenes where music cuts out and they let us carry it. Um, but this is a scene where, I mean, we went through many different versions of music in this scene. Um, well, there was also uh, there was a lot of music Ramin had composed that I, we pulled back on 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 many stems because we find you know Ramin writes this beautiful cue with all the a lot of instrumentation and then and then when we get on the stage and we're, we're throwing it all up and figuring it out um, you know Anna is great with um, you know deciding that hey maybe we should pull back this percussion here and and earlier like when the whites first start attacking, you know, when the ice freezes up and go over, there was actually a really big driving music cue that Ramin had composed for that um, scene. And, you know, we we took a lot of elements out to let sound. That was a moment where we gave, where I think we let sound kind of drive the narrative there. Nice. We won that battle. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the battle of fire and ice. It <laughs> is the battle of fire and ice. Speaking of fire and ice, this gentleman's question about your dragons. So. You know, you, you knew we were going to end up here somehow. Uh, wh what do you do with the wings since they've grown so big, like A380s or something flying over you? Yeah, it's um, well, it's kind of interesting because, <clears throat> again, this is a unique situation where I have care of these creatures, these extraordinary creatures from toddlers to 747s, you know. And it's a very kind of crazy process. I, I didn't understand the scope of it until a few years in, and I went, wow, you know, it's like I can't think of another show where that's been a thing. I mean, it's, you know, and it's kind of funny because you spend, it's like your puppies, you know, it's like, oh, it's a puppy, and then it grows old, and then it gets old, and then you have to put it down at the vet, and you cry, and anyway. Um, but, um, <laughs> I do. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Yep. Thank you. My Drogon died this year, my, my uh, dog, so it was, anyway, whatever. It's another story. Um, but um, so kind of the process is like, it's 
Kind of a funny thing. I mean, it's this year I had to completely re-engineer the wings on the body completely. And kind of every two years I would do that. That's sort of what the cycle is looking back, that you can only get away with pitching down shit so long. And then you've got to start <laughs> start afresh. Um, and so this year, knowing that they were, you know, these magnificent, gigantic beings, um, I completely started from scratch. And it was an interesting process to choose. But it's a lot, I mean, the you know, there are the wings and the different kind of function of the wings. There's the body, the body moving through the air, um, all of those things. And for me, um, I love doing that stuff almost. I mean, the vocals are wonderful, but the body and the textures um, are what kind of bring you closer, especially in the intimate scenes, of course. But, you know, the fact that you can kind of hear and feel their fur as they've Oh, sorry, scales as they dry, fly through the air. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it, it brings you, it br makes you lean in, it brings you kind of closer. And in the first couple of seasons, Foley covered a lot of stuff, and I used that and ran with that. And there's still elements from those, because they would shoot at 96K for me, so I knew that I was going to be pitching and tearing. And I've, I had a library of stuff that they had done in the first couple of seasons, but as these guys got bigger and bigger, it was sort of became more on me to take, take that over. And so this year, it really was from scratch. And so there's all kinds of elements to bang the wings. I, mean, I, I really, one of my ideas this year was that I really wanted these wings to bang like a sonic boom. But, and, and the beginning of the loop train, that was my thought that, you know, you'd hear this thundering bang. It's like, what the fuck? And then another one, and then he would appear. But the music kind of ended up doing the same thing. And so my kind of lovely idea had to, to you know, went by the wayside, and we ended up with the, the first vocal, which is a whole other story. But um, it, it really is about, um, you know, I think the other thing is is that um, the visual effects are so beautifully detailed. I mean, the work that Joe and his, Joe Bauer and his team do, uh, you know, it's like my five-year-old self looks at these, it's like dragons, you know, and it's so, and I kind of cr crawl over their bodies and crawl over the visual effects and look for tiny details, the littlest details to pull out, you know, and create textures that allow you to feel like these things are real, like that's what scales would sound like as they move through the air. Um, this year I also played games with myself and added, so one of the things I thought, I set up a thing where I wondered if I could use a dragonfly somehow in this. And so... A dragonfly? Just because conceptually it was kind of cool, and I challenged myself to see. And so actually those thorns that Danny likes to ride so much. Sorry, she on her the thorns are on the top of the, top of the dragon. dragon <laughs> yeah. um, that wiggle around, you know. Uh, that actually has elements of dragonfly wings that are processed and pulled down to get that kind of flutter. And it it's a private joke for me because I, I I love the full circle of it and that it's kind of cool. But sonically, it actually worked, um, which was kind of neat. I also. There's a layer of kind of affected parchment paper slides that I kind of messed with to have this sort of feel of the glide through the air, um, along with so many other elements. But there's little tiny details of that that I messed about with. Um, but again, it's like all, you know, taking into consideration the same, you know, the glottal flutter, you know, with the wings and the body. It's, you know, how the scales ripple, how the body moves through the air, and how those wings push 
up. You know, I literally had a sound for the bottom bang, the top bang, the push down of air, the push up of air, like everything. And each time I had a sequence, I had to go through and reposition them rather than, I mean, I could have, could have caught, copied and pasted, I suppose, but for me, I, I don't do that because I want each scene to be feel fresh and real and have, I mean, my job, all of our jobs is to bring you to the threshold of believability, you know? Um, that's our job, you know, that you can stand there and believe for a second that the dragons are real and that polar but bears are, are real. real and then whites are real. They're totally real. I, totally. No, I believe they're real. They live at my house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. So does that answer your question? Cool. You Foley guys had a bit of fun in that scene too. Oh yeah. A couple of things. A couple of things. <laughs> a few things. Um, yeah, going back to what we were saying earlier with the music conflicting with the effects and stuff, everything in that scene is really harsh. Everything that's going on is really harsh. And the scene is emotional at the same time. So, um, I mean, on the Foley side of it, we just came from this really like, we just wanted to have the connection to the ground and to the floor. That's what we are. And we did a lot of stuff with like glass hitting each other inside the water for different little ice pieces. Um, you know, half of it, they're fighting invisible whites when we had it. Um, but we had like, we had just tons of just weapons dropping on the floor in all different ways and on ice and on the snow and on the rock. And uh, yeah, it's it's a little reminiscent of uh, Battle of the Bastards, but with snow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because I think the other thing we have to consider, because Ramin's score is so delicious and so broad, um, it makes it a kind of a living hell for us because I, we still have to tell our story, even though we have this music. I'm sure Ramin, you know, probably feels the same thing. I mean. Music and sound share the same bed, essentially. And sometimes I find that music, you know, hogs the blankets a little, and you know, it's that kind of thing. You want to kick him out of bed, you know, all that <laughs> kind of stuff. But it's no, but it, it's an interesting thing because that doesn't happen in other areas. You know, you don't have a, a conflict between visual effects and and cinematography, for instance. I mean, they they kind of blend and naturally complement each other, and they're sort of different things. But in the sense of music and sound, we're both telling stories. Um, we both, you know, remain, you know, I have to, you know, on my side, and it's the same with effects and Foley and everything, we all have to present everything. You know, as you just heard, I mean, they're cherry picking on the stage, they have to. But we have to, Ramin composes a score to the most beautiful luscious scores, though there are no sound effects. I design as though there is no music and dialogue. And that's how it has to be. And they have to be presented in layers such that they can be pulled and stripped, but not so many things that they can't mix through it. So it's, a, it's an ongoing challenge. And so my approach has been to look for things that music doesn't do, i.e. if I can flutter or I can dive or I can do things that's non-musical that will allow, you know, it's all about survival for sound design in a, in a weird way because music does tend to be king. I mean, that is the way... Um, that is the way most shows are constructed. Their, you know, mother, which is out now, mm -hmm. is is kind of an anomaly that way. But um, for most shows, that that's what it is. And so, but but 
we still have to tell the story and some things have to live. And so when I'm thinking about frequencies, for instance, and what could possibly be music, the story I tell has to occur on every frequency round, you know, in a sense, if that makes sense. So the wings, they may bang low, okay? The bang may go because there's a ton of percussion and the, the flapping of the wings may not go in time with that. And so that's gotta be pulled back, but you still have to hear the crunching of the wings as they go up and down or the movement through the air. So something lives to tell the story. And that's the battle, I think, on the music side and on sound effects, in Foley also. I mean, we, you know, everybody is providing ultimate detail. And I always say Game of Thrones is like, um, I think the lushness of Game of Thrones is the kind of tip of the iceberg kind of idea where I think what I'm just saying goes across the board in every department. And what lives is a little bit of each thing. But it's like if you lift the you know, lift the skirt and look underneath, you see all oh, this like incredible detail that is you know is there, you know is behind it, but doesn't necessarily play. But it, it gives this like lush world as though you are just you know. And I, I think it's a really while it's frustrating and it's it's kind of really. I this is the first year I've watched the show as it's aired. I've had a really hard time in the past doing that. You know, maybe ego is is part of it. I don't know, but it's like when you know that you have spent days and days and lost sleep over certain things and they uh, fall by the wayside in the greater good of the storytelling, it, it can be very hard. And I think it's something as sound designers we go through. I mean, it's, you know, I've gone through periods of times when it absolutely crushes me, you know? And I'm sure Ramin on the music side, it's the same thing. I mean, you know, he probably was devastated by the beautiful score he wrote and then what was left of it. and. You know, because all he remembers is the beauty that he put into it, and it's the same for me. All I remember are those nights, sleepless nights, in the studio with the dragons, and then I'm like struggling to hear that cool little thing that I put in that's not there anymore, or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. But it's part of the process, it's part of the team, you know? I would say, though, because I, 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 I think we've gotten better on our side when, when we'll have spotting sessions. Uh, we do, with the producers in the room, David and Dan, you know, they will say, oh, this is gonna be this is going to be an effects moment. This is going to we should we should clear for this here and come back in here. We really try to sort of um, you know negotiate those peaks and valleys on, on the music side. And then I remember in season five we did that with um, uh, the hard home sequence. And when we got to the stage, the guys, I think we we just made it backwards. Like we where it was going to be a big music moment, we wanted all effects, and where it was going to be. I remember that being one of the most challenging things for me because I because the score was designed in a completely different way, so we had to mm -hmm. shift it around. Yeah, and the thing is, we can't, there's no time in this kind of schedule. I mean, we're produce, we're basically making feature movies on a TV schedule, and it's very, very challenging. So there's no time to go, oh shit, we didn't cut that, let's hurry up and scramble to do that. No, that stuff has to be sent to the stage. It all has to be there in all its glorious detail and then becomes stripped away after that. And it's, it's tough, it's a tough process in some ways, but when I actually really enjoyed the season and I kind of, you know, you kind of eat your shit at the beginning and go, okay, this is <laughs> like, prepare yourself for this. And, and you know, and in the end, I, I was very proud of, and I am proud of all the seasons. Now when I look back on season three, four, I love it, you know, but the pain of that initial kind of, oof, fuck, you know, is gone. And I can sit and enjoy it like a viewer and, 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 and be proud of what we did as a team. So, uh, it's it's a cool process, but it's part of it's part of the filmmaking process. I mean, every anybody who's worked in this for any length of time, and those of you who are starting, be prepared for that. It's part of it. You know, you don't. I mean, unless you're working on something that has, as a sound designer, that has zero music, which is very rare. 
you know, you know that stuff is going to fall by the wayside. But um, I never, I, I always said I never wanted to watch because I would never try as hard. Right. That's very interesting. And um, but you know, as it turns out, that's bullshit. So. That's totally bullshit. <laughs> cool. Does anyone have uh, some questions? Uh, you, real quick one. You guys mentioned about the dynamics opening up a little bit. I've noticed in some of the work I'm doing that they seem to be a little bit more lenient in the loudness and peak area. Uh, are you finding the same? Um, I mean, we still have specs that we need to hit. Um, you know, what we did on this episode, we mixed most episodes of the show at 81 because we have a dialogue norm that we need to hit. And in order to hit it and it not be blowing our heads off a lot of the times, um, we mix at 81, but on episode six, and usually there's one episode per season that we will mix at 85 so that we can give ourselves more dynamics. Um, and somehow we still hit the dial norm spec, so we were obviously really loud. Um, but no, I mean, there's still there's always the rule of you have to hit a certain number, whatever the network that you're working for or any of that. Um, and it can be difficult to have as much dynamics as you want. We've had to compress things a little bit more than we'd like in order to hit the spec, um, especially on massive sequences like this. It's yeah, it's, it's hard tough. to accomplish it. I mean, there, there were a couple episodes in the past where we did not hit spec, and in order to go back and hit it would have been a major remix, and the producers actually made the call to the network to say, let it pass. Um, it's pretty gangster. It's the, it's, yeah, it's the yeah. only show I've ever to been on. To get that kind of there are pull. Yeah, there were a couple episodes where there was no way to hit all the specs, and they let it slide. But that's Wait. extremely rare. We had a question over here. Well, first, uh, beautiful, beautiful work. Um, the dragon, for example, what I'm interested in is what are you using to create the weight? Because they're, they're huge, and they sound and feel huge. And when you after you create that, what do you deliver to the stage? How many elements or units for say a dragon flying by would you would you bring? It's changed since season three when I came on, partially because my own process has become more sophisticated and the show has become more complicated. So it for me to be able to do what I wanted to do, I've bumped my chop up chops up considerably and and you know it's been an, an, an uh it's been a an evolution for me you know to do that because there's no way you can send full cut tracks for this i mean i'm running somewhere in the vicinity of well i know because i break my pro tools i broke it again this year uh you know i it's so funny because i'm older than dirt and i remember working i remember when I mean, I started working on Pro Tools when it was like Pro Tools 1, Pro Tools 2, Pro Tools 3.2, you know, 424, added 16 tracks, 32. I remember 64 tracks. I will never forget this. I remember saying, what could I ever do with that? I'm not mixing. And now it's like I break it at, well, I, I cut. Um, part of the reason why I'm breaking my machine all the time is I cut on at 96K, and it is it is brutal on the system. And I had to actually this year, I mean, break up the dragon session into, by the time we got to the end of it, break it up into wings and vocals and bot, like, you know, because it was just too crazy. But it's it has a lot to do with, um, it's, it's, you know, it's like anything. It's just finding, finding elements that, you know, I had a, kind of a cool, 
this kind of neat bison recording that I had made. I have an uncle who has a, like a wildlife uh, preserve and with his wife. They, it's a long story, but they have a preserve that they um, protect, they uh, rehabilitate injured animals in, um, just outside of Banff. And I went up there and recorded a bunch of stuff. And so just taking some of their kind of breaths and movements and stuff and, and for instance, and lowering that. And that stuff became for when she's riding on the dragon and kind of that roly-poly kind of feel. Um, trying to think of other things. I mean, every... You know, the bangs were like sonic booms, and uh, there were um, some kind of muted explosion, different kinds of things to kind of to, to accentuate and make the shape. Um, in the end, when I deliver, I mean, I'm trying to think what I did this year. Usually there were two levels of vocals, so I think I delivered something in the vicinity of about five, 7.1 stems that were like two levels of vocals, so a deep vocal, a high vocal, uh, body movements, wings, and um, then a separate thing that would be like feet and fire and things like that. So, and, um, you know, I'm not a mixer, but I've learned, I've been learning skills at that. I mean, it's kind of funny because it's, it's I can't send 500 tracks to the stage. You know, it's not going to happen. Mm, we wouldn't have time to deal with it. No. <laughs> no, and so I've had to learn to do that and it to get it dialed in. The other thing for me is, okay, and as for any sound designers in the room, it's, look, your moment of glory is just before you send the stuff to the stage. <laughs> you know? My, my, my own personal kind of wallowing and enjoyment and nirvana is me. I get to sit in my little room and ride a fucking dragon all by myself. And I want to feel that. I want to feel that experience because for me, even though sometimes, you know, they'll, you know, sometimes I know Matt will separate stuff or change, you know, pannings and stuff a little bit or whatever, but I need to know that all those elements work together to create that, that all the pieces are there. And the only way to do that is to sit and enjoy that. Otherwise, I'm working blind and there may or may not be those pieces, you know? The pieces may all be there, so. But the other thing is just the pure enjoyment. I mean, my five-year-old self gets to dry, ride a dragon and then send it off. I will never hear it like that again because then it comes in onto the stage and it's meshed with all the other pieces. But for me, that joy is what drives me to do that. And so I mix, you know, I have my room is in 7-1. I wanna hear it, I wanna feel it, I wanna feel the flaps, I wanna hear that bang and, um, and it's it's entirely pleasurable for me, and it's 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 what I it's my moment where I you know. Hey Paula, yeah. I'm gonna give you one more moment of that. What? I'm gonna give you that Roman in the room oh, in a minute. Excellent. So, <laughs> um, you have a question? Uh, yeah, just a short one. You sure? Yeah. No, okay, good. <laughs> uh, quick question um, for I mean all of you guys. I'm I'm curious. Um, bringing it back to the theme of sort of the music and and sound effects intertwining. Um, most of the effects, aside from the from the scene that we just saw, aside from the moment when that the man falls off the cliff, and we sort of go into this abstract, uh, you know, most of that I assume was in the mix, you know, filtering things and and you know creating that abstract moment. I'm curious how much material you're cutting that is either non-diegetic or or abstract, and you know, tension tones or rumbles or, or these abstract sort of cinematic sounds, as opposed to just the realism on screen. How much time you spend in the series cutting those um, 
sort of cinematic, non-diegetic sounds? Um, not a ton of it in there. Um, music is handling a majority of that of that feel of it. We're really handling mostly the organic side of it. You know what you see. Um, you know sometimes we add a little bit if we feel we need it. Um, that abstract moment you're talking about, obviously, there's some of that in there, even though music's really carrying uh, most of it. Uh, but no, we don't put a ton of that in there in a scene like that. Um, we really want to hear what's going on there, the sort of realism of, of, of what's there. So that's all Matt and Anneli, basically? That's all them mixing it. I mean, okay, we got to cut, cut a couple I of know, things I know, to get I it know. in there. So I'm, just, you know, <laughs> I'm giving them props in season so, here. Yeah. But nice, well, they nice deserve job. a lot of props <laughs> on that, yes. Yeah. Cool. For sure. I, I think most of us can agree that Game of Thrones probably has some of the best sounding dialogue ever, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, not the most interesting question, maybe most, but um, my question to you is, if if you guys have the answer, what percentage would you say of the dialogue is done in post ADR? As if, because there's a lot of outdoor scenes and whatnot versus how much you're using from the actual captured? Um, more production is used than you'd probably expect. Uh, Game of Thrones definitely has one of the best production crews. Um, they shoot two units most of the time, so there's two production mixers giving us stuff, but their stuff matches together very well. Um, I mean, on a scene like this, outside in the Dragon Pit, there's very minimal ADR. Um, it's very well recorded. The Frozen Lake sequence, you know, because of all the elements there, obviously a majority of that is ADR um, because... A lot of the stunt people in those white costumes were yelling as they're running in, so we couldn't use that. Um, but a, a a higher percentage of production is used on the show than than you'd probably expect. Um, we do shoot a lot of stuff for safety um, because of snow machines and wind and costume issues. Um, but we do try and save as much of that as possible. There's a lot of ADR that is shot that is not used. Um, but uh, episode six uh, still holds the record for the highest line count I've ever had on a, a TV show at uh, 604 uh, lines. Um, but part of that is also because this is one of those shows where we do not have the loop group do the efforts for the actors. The actors themselves do their own efforts and breaths and everything. And so when you get a 10-minute sequence of, was it, seven or eight principles, um, you know, fighting, then... The their line count uh, gets a little bit excessive. I have a question for the dragon growl. Um, do you do any um, out like take your recordings outside, play it back, and record the world sound? Um, kind of like the um, when I saw the the like the behind the scenes for Godzilla, they like did that around um, on on like the Warner lot. I think it was or. Like things like like that. So like, do you ever try and do like external recordings like that and get bigger sounds for the your growl for the dragon? You mean like world eyes it? Um, yeah, no, no, because I mean most the world, uh, Game of Thrones world is is you know it's very diverse, different kinds of. Uh, you know, it's it's medieval, so there's different kinds of surfaces. So I don't. It would be hard to do that, I think. Um, and also, um, that's. I mean, it, it, that's tricky stuff. I mean, that's fabulous. I love that technique, but it's uh, 
it's one of those where you have a lot more time. It's awesome. We don't have necessarily that kind of time to do that. I mean, I, you know, especially with the season, just getting it all done was a challenge, let alone getting, you know, getting fancy and down with yourself and get out there and worldize it, which I would love to do that. I mean, I, I know that there are people who use that technique a lot, and I think it's f beautiful and fabulous, but it's not something on a show like this that there's time for, unfortunately. Uh, this is more for um, like a f reaction with Foley and, and production sound. Um, were there any sound effects that kind of came from production that inspired you? Um, kind of the scene I had in mind where was where, um, I don't remember what season, but Maester Picel is in his moment of weakness at um, in one of the uh, council meetings. He lets out a little squeak. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, we added that. Um. At, at a producer's request, that was yeah. added. We thought that was going to be something that didn't stick because they ask for joke things uh, somewhat frequently that they want to laugh at on stage and then get rid of. But that was a moment that they actually uh, wanted to keep in. I believe there was a little argument with HBO on it, but the producers won that battle. Um, so yes, there is a... You say Pysol squeak, I'd say Pysol fart, but yes. Uh, there's two throughout the whole thing, right? There's no, there's only one, one that, there's only one that, that stayed in the mix, and that is a moment that we went back to multiple times to find the right one. Um, the perfect there fart. There were probably 20 options that were played on stage, and we literally printed it and laid it back and went back to it again three times to change it again to find just the right one. Um, in terms of inspiration, we usually go for something otherworldly. Um, a lot of the production, at least for armor and swords and stuff, aren't really full or heavy enough. Um, uh, in terms of other inspiration, though, there are some scenes that aren't finished yet, like guys in green suits and stuff. We like to do little sounds for them and send them over. But uh, that's just fun. So um, I have this really weighty question here. We have the ice wall, Dragon in, and Barry White up there. Who, who is the one that came up with Barry White? Do you that see, would uh, be Paula. I awesome. I, it was a delirious moment, and right. I <laughs> take pleasure in making up weird things in those moments, so that was one. Yeah, well, her, I understand. Her, her labeling on sending stuff to the stage is uh, Unique. always interesting and entertaining for us. <laughs> Fo Foley crew as well on yeah. the labeling of things. And how do you manage, this is such a high pressure show, right? It's worldwide. How do you manage all the different personalities? I mean, we're talking about the production, and I get that, but part of the production is managing the people that are delivering their heart and soul. Do you see part. these five up here right now? I mean, um, this is hard to manage right now. No. I mean, the, <laughs> luckily, this is a show with a phenomenal crew all around. Um, we all get along really well. We're rarely in the same room together. I did. I did not see Paula this season because she's in her studio. They keep me locked thing. up in a dark room by myself. Yeah, I mean, myself and and Annalie and Matt are really the three that are actually physically around each other when we're when they're mixing. Um, but other than that, it's managing people who are at their you know at their studios in, in various places. Um, and luckily, personality-wise, we all get along really well. Uh, we all are very professional in what we do, but also really enjoy what we do and like to have fun with it. So uh, sprinkle in a little gag here and there to keep things light when we can. 
Um, like uh, that one, I don't know if you guys remember, I think it's two seasons ago, there's this drunk guy peeing and he turns around, he starts peeing on the mountain's armor. You can hear it in there. Okay. Kind of just added that in there. But that but that joke sound actually stayed in the mix because we loved it. So we... <laughs> no, it's like a, Game of Thrones is like an awesome family. I mean, it really truly is. And part of that has to do with Down and Dave, who, you know, I've been on many, many shows. They are accessible. They're wonderful guys. They're very creative. Um, uh, and I think everybody feels like, you know, you want... When you've got people at the helm that are that kind of gracious. I mean, they talk to anybody on the show. They, they're, they're not, you know, you have some shows where people sit up in their little castle and, you know, you know what I mean? And it's, it's just, and these guys could be the biggest assholes on the earth and they would have earned it, you know, in a, in a way. And they're not, you know, they're actually, so for me, I, I know the combination of these guys who I adore and love like family and those two who I loved a bit. I mean, I love their brains. I love their humor. And, and I love the fact that they respect all of us and give a shit about us and our jobs. Um, you know, it just, it just, you know, in those tough moments, like this was a tough season, the last few weeks of it, I mean, we're all half dead. But, you know, you, you know it's just, it's part of it. You, you care and you keep going because you don't want to let anyone down. And, and when somebody gets overburdened with somebody, something, you know, you know the team kind of kind of helps each other out. So it's it's been, um, I think, a remarkable. I, I, you know, I, the anticipation of the last season makes me so sad because this has been such an extraordinary experience for me, and I, I and I'm sure everybody agrees. And it's like to think that it will end is it's just it's horrible in a way, you know, because it's truly is one of those unique, once in a career things where you have everybody kind of working together in harmony and you know there's very few dis there's very little dissonance on this on this show which is so unusual really uh so yeah it's it's we are blessed definitely i mean on a show of this magnitude if there was conflicting personalities this would really be a impossible thing to accomplish but luckily we all get along well enough and and all complement each other enough that it that's what makes it possible mixing schedule question how many days if you have a set one how many days per episode and do you do like a day for deliverables or like a playback in the morning and then print or and do you stay in atmos or seven one and what's your workflow there um as far as mixed days go uh if there's an hbo spy in here I, that's why i will not say they don't like us to talk about the amount of days. They're, they've been very careful with us on that. Um, but as far as deliverables and dealing with all that stuff, we mix in 7-1. We started that uh, season six. We went from 5-1 to 7-1. Um, we we're always pushing to, to go Atmos, and we were actually in an Atmos room this season, but uh, we do not mix native Atmos. Uh, mix 7-1. Um, once we are done with playback and notes with producers, we'll then do a 5-1 print master pass and a... LTRT print master pass uh, to make sure everything is working. Um, and then they do an up mix to Atmos. Um, a different mixer comes in and does an up mix to Atmos for the Blu-ray DVD release. The one thing, though, just to note is that though we can't say how many days, it is shockingly small amount compared to a feature movie, you know, and that's, that's the thing that's incredible. I mean, the fact that we're able to pull this off at a fraction of what most features of this kind of magnitude would are doing. I mean, 
a feature like this would be months on the stage. We are not that, obviously. So. No, and luckily they understand that the bigger episodes will take more time and they want us to take more time with it. I mean, sound is very important to all the producers, the showrunners. They want it to sound good. And if you tell them it takes a couple more days on the mix stage to get that scene to sound right, then they'll hopefully get us a couple more days on the mix stage, you know, within reason. I can't go back to them and say we need three more weeks on this scene. That's just a quick question. Um, thank you guys for doing this. This is really great. <clears throat> and I think this is one of the most elegantly mixed shows I've ever heard. I always, f I feel like I'm hearing everything reads really well on all these scenes. It's really great. Um, for, for a question for Paula. <laughs> Um, do you ever do you go into the dragon vocals with a centerpiece sound in mind that you then build around, or do you go into it sort of like kind of experimenting and then seeing where it takes you? Well, part again, part of it has been that you must recognize the sound of the dragons each season, you know, no matter how big they are. There's an element that has, if you go back to when I started anyway, go back to season three. For me, my journey started on this show. There are elements that are in there that remain to this day that, that have been affected by, you know, Drogon in particular, Drogon's the leader. So, for instance, from a distance, whenever you hear him approach, you know it's him. It has an element, a quality that has remained there, like a child's voice that would be imprinted and, 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 and grows. There's an element, a vocal print that is that is left. So. The first season, I was batting around in the wind a little, trying to find my footing. And uh, But what I do each season is take the last season stuff, create a library of it, and then start to mess with it, decide which elements to keep, which elements to chuck. You know, the little chitters from when they were little babies and they'd run around and chitter, uh, those don't work when you're, you know, a 747 so much. Although um, I found a way of kind of reintroducing sort of an element of that. But... You know, fundamentally, first and foremost, you can't, I, I feel anyway, and this has been my approach to it, I felt like I could not change, you know, just because it's bigger doesn't mean you scrap everything and start from scratch. Like the wings, which are a little different, you know what I mean? The call is, is very unique and must maintain those elements. And so that becomes, those elements become the centerpiece around which I add and figure out how to maintain that little, that little vocal print but add other things. And, and Greg Spence, um, who's our kind of handler, um, he's, he's one of the producers, but he's very involved in the post. I remember in the earlier on things, you know, we had lots of discussions about it. And, you know, we talked about the fact, you know, when you go, you go to a zoo and you, you know, you go to hear the lions and the lions roar and that's what you expect, you know, the beautiful stuff is the little chuffs and the funny little things that happen in between that are not necessarily recognizable. Those I search for because, in a sense, especially with the close-up scenes, which are hardest, you know, the one with John this season, the one with Tyrion last season with the two dragons in the basement, um, you know, those ones are really tough. I have nothing to hide behind. and But I want I want the dragon to tell a story, to be there, to, to, to all these little funny little things, like your dog makes these funny sounds that, you know, everybody's pet makes a unique sound that they love. It's like that, you know? And so I search for the weird shit, the funny things, the odd things that will add character and help that creature tell its story a little bit. Um, 
And, um, and, and that's kind of my approach. It's very kind of organic in a way. And it's a lot of hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of listening to things and searching. You know, I may listen to, you know, 10 hours of, of recordings of different kinds of animals and stuff and maybe only come up with two or three little nuggets. But those nuggets are everything. And from there... You know, in each season, I'll find something that'll inspire me, uh, and from there, I'll, I'll kind of build. So, well, we are at time, and I want to thank you guys for joining us here and doing this with us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you guys for joining us.